there's always something new from our sponsor, Text Control. They just released version 30 of their document processing library that includes new document collaboration features. Using TX Text Control, you can integrate online document editing, document signing, collaboration, and PDF processing into your ASP.NET and ASP.NET Core web applications. Whether you need to create PDF invoices, quotations, or reports, TX Text Control provides the developer libraries for all document-related tasks. Check out the new features and see their technologies in action by visiting the live demo at demos.textcontrol.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Our good friend Chris Sells is with us. We'll be talking to him in a few minutes. But uh, first, I want to check in with my buddy Richard. How you doing, man? How's Canada? Uh, yeah, things are going all right up here. A couple of truckers grumpy about one thing or another, but we won't worry too much about that. Yeah. Uh, I took a couple weeks away and came back to one of my servers dead. And now I'm looking at it going... Uh, you know, there's nothing on that server that isn't backed up to the cloud anyway. Why am I going to fix this machine again? Yeah, why do you have servers anyway? Uh, well, have you met me? I have a server closet. you got to put something in it. What am I going to put in there? Pot? Like, um, that's not, that's not a bad idea, actually. Uh, <laughs> you could legally grow it now, I think. Yes, I can. But, or actually, uh-huh. I have to have a license. Uh, the only thing that was on that particular server was a home, my home assistance instance, which you know man- manages the house. So that was problem that it was broken. Uh, but I literally restored it onto a, a little e-droid device that i already had from a google cloud backup look at that huh chris look at that yeah it ties together very nice the dot net guy boom, it was google up and cloud running. awesome i've heard good things about dot net i should really give it a try he should yeah you, one of these days <laughs> oh i hope i hope you know why that's funny listeners but you will <laughs> soon enough but uh Let's uh, roll the crazy music for Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, man. What do you got? Well, you know, for those of you who don't know, Chris was once a Microsoft team before that, a development mentor guy, and uh, he schooled us on the garbage collector in, on .NET Rocks, low those many years ago. When you so work show Microsoft. what show number six or show number ten, so, something show 10. like that. Yeah. yeah, and so I figured I would uh, bring up the GC class from .NET Framework 2.0. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> so I, I think I have a link to it here, and I'll share it with Chris. Maybe he remembers. Maybe he, uh, but but Chris came on the show and, and with Mark Dunn and myself, and he gave the absolute best explanation for the dispose pattern, why you need it, why the garbage collector is such an awesome thing. And and if I remember correctly, how you didn't really trust it at first. And, you know, because being a C++ developer, being a com programmer, reference counting and stuff, and it, it was kind of a struggle to to let go, Luke. It was you it was funny. Course. Don Don Boxen uh, gave a keynote at a developmentor.net conference at the time, low these many years ago. And one of the things he said was, uh, uh, "I would be, I would be the last C plus plus programmer, right? Uh, I hadn't embraced <laughs> .NET or C sharp at the time, and that I would be holding on to, you know, deterministic finalization. Um, you'd pry it out of my cold right. dead fingers." <laughs> yeah, that's it. So yeah, we have, we have a history here, and uh, I'm I'm hoping that you're going to come to the. 20th anniversary .NET Rocks party in Louisville, Kentucky. I've heard about that. Um, I've heard that it's uh, there's .NET Rocks and bourbon involved, right? That's I mean, right. How can I say no? Deadly combination. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? What could go wrong? But uh, <laughs> we want to talk to you about Flutter. So uh, let's uh, get it back to you, Richard, and uh, tell us who's talking to us today. And we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, I wanted to do uh, a comment on show 1736 from April of 2021. We talked to Gerald uh, Vlerschluss. So we were talking about Xamarin Forms and Maui and, uh, you know, other approaches to mobile development. Although there's more that story, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, this particular comment comes from David Valderrama, who said, Hi, I've been listening to you since 2016. 
And for a couple of years, I worked on a solution that had Xamarin Android, Xamarin iOS, a portable class library, and it used the MVVM cross framework. And this was a video streaming app for a major media company here in Australia. This app had specific branding requirements, and we had to match the designs pixel for pixel. Mm. The app had grids of thumbnails and needed to be scrollable with a minimum frame rate, performance, and memory implications for current and older generation devices. Oh, man, I would run screaming. Uh, <laughs> the only way to achieve it was to implement the UI natively. I tried writing proof of concepts in Xamarin Forms, but I always ended up implementing the parts of the UI natively, which you can do in Xamarin Forms, right? You can get down low level as well. Uh, I personally don't think that having the lowest common denominator for UI has a future and that developers more often than not will require a high degree control over the appearance and behavior of the UI. I don't know if that's true, David. Have you met the internet? Like the World <laughs> Wide Web is not like high fidelity anything. But uh, but I get that you have a when you have a vendor who has very specific branding requirements and they're contracting you, they can put stipulations on you like pixel perfect rendering. And then you're suddenly, you know, wrestling with that particular problem. But David goes on to say, and I think this is relevant further to our conversation, one of the reasons that React Native became so popular is that it allowed existing React developers to quickly adapt and work as mobile front-end developers. And I personally think that syntax like JSX is far more enjoyable and intuitive than XAML or some kind of fluent C-sharp code will ever be. And there, I said it. Hmm. Sacrilege. I hope that Microsoft takes, <laughs> takes a look at what React has done with JSX and how React Native works, and hopefully we can take advantage of it all, but in C-sharp instead of JavaScript, because that's a price, coding in JavaScript. No two ways about it. But it sounds like David's been through the ringer on some challenging projects and has found a way to deliver on them. So good for you, man. And a copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks, which we publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell, and I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. Don't worry about cleaning up, because we have overridden the finalizer. <laughs> 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 you just rolled that one out, didn't you? Boy, oh boy! <laughs> the show there. I think we peaked. I don't think. Yeah, it peaked. yeah it's, uh, we've you've been great. <laughs> Thanks so much. Tip your wages. Try the veal. <laughs> oh man, brilliant! I like to start my day uh, by overriding the finalizer. Yes. Remember when people were talking about building their own garbage collectors because they thought that was a good idea? Oh, Who man. would do that? <laughs> Been there, done that. Got the yeah. t-shirt. Oh, found um, out I was wrong. Yeah, all <laughs> for sure. Well, anyway, um, just to formally introduce Chris, let me read his short bio here. He is a Google product manager on the Flutter development uh, experience. He enjoys long walks on the beach. <laughs> 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 and various technologies. I should have read that before I read it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Do you use a cream rinse? <laughs> uh, your 14th episode, sir. Spanning yeah. 20 it years. Is it seriously? 14th episode. First one was Holy December man. of 2002, episode 10. Wow. And this, this will be episode 1784. And how the flutter are you, man? Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. 14. Well, okay. Now I have to ask who's been on the most. Uh, I think we say we, we did, when we did episode 1700, I brought on the six most frequent guests. And I believe Michelle Bustamante was in the lead at 18. So you were up there. Wow. wow. But you realize 18 is not even one a year. Right. That's no, one that's thing about true. having done a show for 20 years is that, yeah. you know. No, right. Yeah. We are all old. That's, uh, I think yes. that's what you just said. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, and if you remember in the, at, at, in the peak .net rocks era a few years ago, we were doing three episodes a week. Yeah. No, I remember. So even to, even to be on once a year, you know, it's 150 episodes in, in a year. These days, we're doing a relatively pedestrian one episode a week. Do you think the three wow. episodes a week is when people started turning off the radio and not listening to us? <laughs> yeah, when I don't know. Uh, in some ways, uh, you know, as a content planner, I found three episodes a week 
easier because there was room. Like all I made sure was there was one really technical show each week. There was something a little more career related, you know, broader yeah. thinking show a week. And then the third one could be almost anything. Like that's when we would do a geek out every month because I think as a listener, was, we probably separated the casual listener from the hardcore.net rocks fan. Well, when we it, did that. Unless you're, you know, what I, the feedback I was getting was, Hey, I'm driving an hour a day. Could you do five a week? Please? Well, that was back when we were the only .NET podcast too, right? I mean, well, now there's, there's so many yeah. chances. Uh, well, so and, and it is it is the case that long after I stopped doing .NET day to day, I was listening to those geek out episodes. Man, those were yeah, so those fun. are great. Thanks. Um, they you, you know I did three of them at the beginning of the year here because we were, I was trying to do a, a one hour recap show, and then the first topic took an hour. <laughs> And then the next topic took 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next topic took another 90 minutes. So there, yeah, there are a few of them. So, Chris, Richard and I were just watching your Flutter for Windows video uh, and wondering what the Flutter we were watching. But uh, so <laughs> we're it gonna, looks We're going to cool. keep using that line, right? You yeah. overrode the finalizer. We thought you were a hero, but if, if <laughs> you're wondering what the Flutter, you're still using that joke for. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> taking a step back. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, we man. call that reuse. Reuse, yeah. Callback. I thought he. I thought he was hot reloading that joke over and over and over oh again, but he God. still hasn't debugged it. All right, wow. all right. It stops now. Wow. It stops right here. I. You started this. It was all right. Me. So anyway, we have a few questions based on that short video that we watched, and uh, we only got about I don't know eight ten minutes into it, but um, about Flutter. Remind me, I know that it's based on Dart, the Dart language, but I don't know what the markup language is. And it occurred to me that maybe there is no markup language. Is 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 the markup done with code or is there a separate markup for it? Okay, so you are diving right into the details of, of Flutter without even, hey, what the Flutter? What is Flutter? What the Flutter right? is Flutter. Now, we, and we did do a show with Tim Sneath a few years ago when Flutter was brand new. Yeah, and I was just, very impressed with it. But we should start from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, just to be, I'm sure uh, Tim did a much better job than I'm about to do. But the idea of Flutter is you get to write your code um, in Dart using um, a rich uh, set of widgets that are provided out of the box um, uh, in Flutter for you that are in two design languages. Um, the material design language and the Cupertino design language. And you get to choose the material design language is particularly themable. Uh, you know, you get to control every uh, pixel, uh, but both of them are like that. The nice thing of what, and what this allows you to do is build your app um, and make it look and feel like you want. And there's full support for touch input and mouse and keyboard and small screens and big screens. So what that means then is you can build uh, an app with a single set of source code and then choose um, which of six platforms that we support out of the box in Flutter uh, that you would like to target. So if you want to take that that code and target Android and iOS, which you know we've had in, in uh, production quality for more than three years now, you can certainly do that. And we have a lot, a lot of people that do that. In uh, March of uh, last year, we brought the web support online in stable so that you can use, uh, you can target web with your Flutter app and bring that into production use. And the big news um, as of uh, a couple of weeks ago is now we've done the same thing uh, for Windows. What are the other ones? So Android, iOS, web, Windows. The other two that are still in beta are macOS and Linux, which okay. you know, we plan to bring uh, mm. to stable uh, here um, as, as, as soon as they're ready. Yeah. All and right. so the idea with Flutter is write it, and then you can target whatever uh, platform you want and get a native executable. And by native, I mean, you know, it targets the underlying um, uh, instruction set of the CPU. So if you're targeting a phone, you get um, ARM code. If you're targeting a desktop, you get x86 code. If you're targeting the web, highly optimized uh, JavaScript code. And I, I love it that it's C++ the bottom, isn't it? Which as the ultimate portable language, isn't it? 
It absolutely is. There's a, there is a tiny, you actually, the, the way to think about Flutter is it's much more like, you know, uh, a game engine for apps, right? With Unity, you've got a, you know, you've got an engine and you're writing C sharp code that is compiled and you get your app and it uses the underlying, um, engine. Mm-hmm. You get the exact same with Flutter. With Flutter, the other underlying engine is, um, composed of, um, the Skia library, which allows uh, access to the underlying GPU, so accelerated graphics, no matter what platform you're targeting. Yeah. Um, you get a text rendering engine, and then you get uh, a small uh, Dart runtime. And so right. we, over the years, have optimized and optimized this. It's like a 5 meg um, uh, overhead for any uh, Flutter app you want. Um, mm. uh, and so we've made that as small, as fast as we possibly can, for smaller end devices. But when you start talking about desktop devices, that's almost nothing, right? Another five meg DLL in your, you know, Windows app. Yeah. Um, you can't even tell. Dude, right? I got a background graphic bigger than that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right? So, I mean, you double click on a Flutter Windows app built in release mode and boom, it is loaded, right? You can barely turn your head fast enough to see. But I, I also appreciate that you've come from mobile and are going to desktop. So, mm-hmm. He, you know, your footprint tends to be light that way. As opposed to trying to go the other way, you oh, cram sure. desktop stuff into mobile. The real sure. question is, we have high expectations in the desktop world. I got a 4K screen here, man. Like, and I, I want to use every inch of it. And it, it, these, right. these mobile-centric frameworks tend to not really stretch so out. We have spent uh, now a couple of years. In fact, almost my entire tenure at the team. I've been on the team for three years now. And almost from day one, we started, hey, how, you know, what do we want to do about desktop? How do we make mm-hmm. sure that we can do that? And so, for example, we have the concept of visual density, right? So uh, a touch app, you want things to be spaced out more because you want to use your meaty fingers to touch things and you don't want it to overlap. But on a desktop form factor, you want to use a mouse, right? With a tiny little pointer. So you want things to be tighter, right? So we have things like that built in. Um, we have, uh, you know, full support for keyboard and, and, and mouse and touchpad, um, built in. Um, the ability to, uh, know we have, um, actually we have a class in Flutter called media query. So you can say, how, how wide is my screen? Do I right. want to have, you know, uh, uh, a small, uh, app and do navigation that way? Do I want it to be bigger? Do I want it, you know, to show the drawer? Um, you know, already expanded. How do I want to do navigation? All of those things are are built in um, uh, and more. Uh, as one example of the and more, um, anything we've built, um, you know, ultimately goes down to the native layer, right? I mean, we have something called um, an embedding. Oh, uh, and the idea is that is the layer, that's the hardware abstraction layer, except for it's the platform. I think of it as the platform abstraction layer, right? Where, you know, you get input from the system and you can um, provide output that goes to the screen. Um, and it all goes through this layer. And then above that layer, you're just writing your Flutter code. But it might be that you want to g- gain access to some API that we haven't exposed to you directly. And that's totally fine. You're writing your Windows app. And you want to get to some cool WinRT or Calm or Win32 API, uh, you can totally do that. And you can either do that. Um, we have um, uh, something called Dart Foreign Function Interface. So you can just load DLLs and call C APIs directly. And in fact, uh, Tim Sneath um, has built an amazing library um, that's available for um, Windows developers that literally has already done the mapping to thousands of Win32 Calm and WinRT APIs that you can just load his library and make those calls. Hmm. You don't even have to write, you know, the you don't have to parse the structures and figure out how to lay things out like you would, you know, with JNI for Java or the importing stuff you do in .NET, right? All of that, he's done that for thousands of APIs already. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you want, um, you, there's always a native wrapper around your Flutter app. There's always what we call a runner. So there's a Win32 window, right? With, you know, get message, dispatch message. Right. Um, that also loads up your Dart and Flutter code and bootstraps it and runs it. 
And if you want to put native code in that part of your app and then pass messages back and forth between your Dart and your C++, you totally can. Or if you want, we have uh, more than, almost 15,000 Flutter compatible packages and plugins that you can just drop into your app, um, of which more than 200 of them have Windows specific code that have already wrapped these APIs and provide a nice Dart API for them so that you can just drop them in your app and make calls uh, to those underlying Win32 API. So going back to your commenter, Flutter is not a lowest common denominator UI framework at all. Mm -hmm. We expect people to get to the underlying native platform to make sure that when they target Windows, 90 plus, 95, 98, however many percentage of it is cross-platform code. Mm -hmm. But you always want to tailor. You always want to take advantage of the underlying operating system. Of the system. platform. That's right. And we we expose that. You write a tiny little bit of platform-specific code, but the rest, you know, the vast majority is all Dart and Flutter. That's very cool. How, does, how, do the, how does the platform-specific code live? Is this a if Windows thing? Is these Are these directives? Like, how do you do it? So you can, uh, you can do it, uh, in a couple of ways. You can totally say if Windows, right? Do this code. Mm -hmm. Um, I tend to write my apps as a layer of abstraction above that where I have little classes that have different implementations for different platforms. Right. So that I can just load up an instance of the right, I call it a services class, the right services class once. And then my app just calls into the services class and it, it calls into the right implementation. Mm -hmm. Certainly at the, compiler level, any native code you're calling, the compiler says, oh, you're targeting Windows, let me pull in the Windows code. Oh, you're, you're, you're targeting Android, let me, let me pull in the Android code. And you can leverage that same uh, capability in, in your uh, app, app code as well. Can, can we get back to my question about how uh, a .NET, maybe Xamarin Forms developer or a WPF developer would imagine doing the markup um, I don't use the Fluent or Cupertino design languages, so I'm not sure exactly how that is expressed. Yeah, so um, Fluent is the the you know the the Microsoft uh, Microsoft based uh, design language, and there is a community implementation of that li uh, language for Flutter as well, which you saw in the video. Material, Material, and Cupertino yeah, yeah. were the ones that were built out of the box. Yeah, there's also one for Mac that somebody has built Mac OS desktop. Uh, design language. Right. So the community is fully, you know, enabled to build up these design languages to support whatever set of, of UI frameworks uh, that they want. To get to your core question, there isn't a markup language. There's no XML, there's no JSON, there's no YAML, where you say, here, let me do my layout, and then let me attach my behaviors uh, in Dart. Uh, instead, it's all Dart. It's all a fluent API. Essentially, That's what cool. you do is you, at the very top of your app, you say you create an instance of a widget and you hand it to the run uh, command and it runs it. And then that widget is composed of other widgets, which is composed of other widgets. And, sure. you know, it's it's uh, it's widgets all the way down. And it's the uh, the the developer experience, sort of the the instant hot reload kind of thing where you can make a change in the code and to the side, you see how that renders immediately. Mm -hmm. That's right. All of the hot reload is built in. And the way that's enabled, people ask us, hey, why did you choose Dart instead of, you know, some other language? And the answer is um, because we had uh, a number of requirements that only Dart fulfilled. For example, Dart allows, you know, targeting JavaScript, uh, targeting ARM, targeting x86, right? It's got all these backends, right? So we get high performance, you know, uh, assembly language instructions yeah. when we build for the release. But the other thing it does, it's just got a VM. Dart has a VM. It's just, a, it has a just uh, in time compilation mode, which wow. is what enables hot reload. So while you're debugging, your app is much bigger and it takes up way more space and memory and it's, you, uh, it's a little slower and it uses just in time compilation instead of ahead of time compilation, mm. like you get it released. But all of that enables a much faster development Dev cycle. Yeah. yeah. Right. Cause you know, you literally, you make a change, you save your file and behind, by the time you turn your head, you see that change with the existing data in your app. Right. So that is what, you know, the two modes of Dart gives us, right. Um, the VM mode and, and, and with, with the jitter and the ahead of time 
compilation, you get the best of both. There. Right. And it's, is it actually under the hood, just the same compiler, just literally running in different modes? So there's no behavioral differences between them. Yes, it is exactly the same compiler running in different modes. hundred yeah. percent. No, it's, it, it seems very, you know, Dart is the CLR in some respects because it deals with all that cross-platform stuff and different hardware implementations and so on. And then you've got this sort of same effect of, of you know, being able to dynamically change stuff and use this Roslyn-like compiler that is a service and either is, you know, fully compiling to a platform or is doing it dynamically. Yep. And in fact, what we have, one of the things that comes out of the box when you're doing um, Flutter development is the Dart analyzer and it runs as a separate process um, and it's the thing that um, gives you all of the you know the lint feedback and all of the IDE services right so if you're in IntelliJ Android Studio um, Visual Studio Code or you know you've hooked up an LSP service to Vim or Emacs right all of those uh, all of those syntax completions and you know the right the, uh, well, IntelliSense is what we call it in the Visual Studio uh, yes. world, right? But all of those well, services, coloring and lints and quick fixes and blah, 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 all of that's provided by the analyzer, right? That's always running uh, on your code. And I know we had this conversation with Tim back in the day, which was a few years ago now, but I mean, Dart's just not that different. This got semicolons and like, you will recognize this language. It's not... But it isn't about the language. It's about the framework you're working against. Like the language right. has never been the problem, really. Yeah. No, it's it's well, funny. You know, uh, people are like, well, it's start. It's not as good as, you know, insert favorite language here. And to that, I will say uh, two things. One, it is an optimized language specifically for doing client side development. So it's got all the features that you needed to have. It's got classes and, and async and await, and it's got, um, garbage collection and it's got, um, uh, extension methods and it has all of these features. In fact, um, Dart, we just added at the beginning of last year, um, full sound null safety. So if you, if you switch all of your code over to this new mode, the compiler will say, Oh, you're trying to pass a null into a type that doesn't support a null and it right. can just squeeze out that $1 billion mistake from yeah. your code and there's a mixed mode, right, as we transition, but most of the community has already transitioned. And so what that gives you is sound null safety that you don't have to, the compiler doesn't have to do that check anymore, right? So your code is smaller because there's no checks. Your code runs faster because uh, there's no checks and it's safer because the compiler yeah. is doing the checks instead of uh, doing it at runtime. It's I, like a triple win. I love Link, Chris. What can you do for me? Well, it's interesting. So there's two versions of Link. One, I'm with you, Carl. I dearly, dearly love. And one was an interesting experiment that um, I don't believe ever really um, uh, made its way into... Came to fruition. Yeah, I don't think so, right? The language integrated query has, you know, two modes. And the mode that I don't think ever really took off was the, you know, write SQL-like, you know, code in your C-sharp. And then as syntax sugar, which ultimately turns into collection dot select dot filter dot blah, blah, blah. This fluent API where you say, here's my data and I want to do a set of transforms on it to get the result, right? That is a super powerful programming um, uh, paradigm. And it's in all modern languages uh, today, including Dart. Okay. That the, the Dart has all of those libraries built in to be able to do all of those uh, link, uh, uh, linky kinds of things. It doesn't do the weird kind of, you know, uh, let me write code that looks like SQL into my Dart. It doesn't do that. Yeah. Right. But it does the, you know, I want to, I, I have a set of steps and I want to transform my data. All cool. of that's it there. Right. It's wonderful. And I don't care what the source is. And it, it's not just relational databases. It can be all kinds of different things. But in the end, I end up with, an object tree I can manipulate that I know how to handle. Yeah, exactly right. And of course, there's various... What you want. Exactly right. And there's various ORMs that people have built uh, against, you know, um, relational stores or document stores and et cetera, et cetera. And then you can just take the data and, and do what you yeah. want. Yeah, and bind it to a client so that people can manipulate. And I didn't have to write a lot of code to make that happen. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, the uh, 
the um, the magic that is, you know, translating, you know, dot or dot net code, C sharp code into the equivalent SQL code or whatever, you know, the underlying magic, you know, send it back to the server kind of code. Yeah. Um, Dart doesn't have a facility for doing that. But there's, yeah, most of that magic code was very horrible anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this, That's right. It was an interesting experiment. Yeah. But ultimately the thing that that everyone wants is the thing that came out of the box in uh Python, right? List comprehensions, which every modern language has in one form or another. And and gentlemen, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Hey, it's Carl and Richard here. We're here with our friend JD Trask from uh, Raygun. Hey JD. Howdy. We thought we'd just talk to you for a second about how Raygun got started. How did the whole thing come together? It wasn't our first product. We actually built a range of different tech companies uh, prior to launching Raygun. And we built Raygun off the back of how Jeremy and I, the JB of the JD-JB duo, uh, had been monitoring our software previously, where we would email ourselves if there was a fault. And we wanted <laughs> to build a full system around that. Who would do that? I guess I have. It's a nightmare going all into your inbox. <laughs> So that was the inspiration. Yeah, that's a great story, and uh, and it's a great product. Thanks for making it. Oh no, no, it's our pleasure. I, I honestly think you know, if I was building a business today, putting something like that in from the get go, we see customers where they adopt that sort of technology early, and the number of issues they have sort of stays very, very low. You know, mm -hmm. from from the get go, it's really impressive when you see really large companies that are actually not sending very many errors because they've taken that quality so seriously from the beginning, right. as well as helping larger companies sort of you know bring those numbers down and, and lower the number of faults. It's really cool to see. Well, we use Raygun at .netrocks.com, and it does its job. It tells us when there are errors, but we haven't really fixed them yet. So um, <laughs> <laughs> We do have a permanently ignore function for you there, Carl. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea, yeah. Well, uh, well, thanks. Let's do this again. Thank you. All right, and if you'd like to know more about Raygun, go to raygun.com and try out a free trial. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Yo! And that's Chris Sells, who's been hey. off living in a strange little Google land where he's been very happy. And he, every so often he dropped by here and told us some googly things like Google Cloud and so forth. And somehow you've ended up on the Flutter team, which is not a bad thing. I'm kind of glad you're over there. Definitely. But you, you, when did you join Flutter? So I joined Flutter. Actually, it was a really fun time to join. I joined a little more than three years ago. Oh my. And my first week on the Flutter team was in London at um, Flutter Live, which was uh, in the Flutter community, the famous event where Flutter went from beta to its first release of Android and iOS. And that was an amazing event because not only did it show off, you know, all these amazing things you can do for mobile, but it also the, um, showed off uh, te uh, technology previews for both web and desktop support in Flutter. And it, um, we've been spending the last three years kind of bringing all that. Making that come Flutter. true. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so this, this Windows stable release with, you know, Mac and Linux coming um, right behind is kind of represents three years worth of work for me, right? That yes. I've been, Tim, Tim wrote a bunch of checks and I'm there to make sure that they clear. That's, uh, that's <laughs> yeah. what I've been doing for the last three years. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll include a link to Flutter Live because that's December of 2018, which is, I mean, it's in the before yeah. time, so it's hard to remember because right now it's like March 750th, right? So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 hard to even imagine all these things. Uh, I'm thinking back to the comment and that sort of that need. Occasionally, you need pixel perfect rendering. It mm -hmm. makes me sad. Um, but what would you do in Flutter to make that come true? Because it seems like this is a very flow-based UI approach. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, so Flutter, even though it is a fluent API, mm -hmm. right? Or, you know, the uh, it's much more like uh, how you would write uh, a WPF code in, in C Sharp, right? That's, that's really uh, much closer to the experience. And there is that. something in yeah. C Sharp that yeah. does all UI from... Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. 100%. Yeah. You can do it. You've always been able to write your code like that. XAML is just, you know, an, an object initialization format. Right. Yeah. And 
And C Sharp provides its own, and you don't ever have to use XAML if you don't want to. Anyway, so um, when it comes to pixel perfectness, right, we have worked really, really hard on the Material and Cupertino design languages to make sure that if you build a Flutter app and an iOS app, you hold them up next to each other using the same um, elements, right? Mm -hmm. You can't tell the difference. And that includes, you know, the animations and the glows and the transitions and the scrolling and the different scrolling physics between iOS and Android. Yeah. <clears throat> um, we work closely with the material team um, to make sure that we build uh, a fantastic uh, implementation of the material design language. And again, we work hard so that you can, um, uh, you know, hold up a, an Android app and a, and a Flutter app and they look and feel identical. And we, for a lot of years, we were pushing on on pixel perfectness. Yeah. What we found is interesting. I mean, there are definitely people who want to do that, right? They, they want it to look and feel like a, a, an iOS app or a Windows app or a Mac app. Right. But more and more over the years, what we found is people want it to look like their app. Yes. They want to build their own design language with themes and colors and fonts. We talked about this years ago with, with in the early days of mobile development too, of cross-platform mobile development, saying, "Hey, you know what? The Facebook app looks like the Facebook app on all the devices." That's right. They're not worried about that. That's an Apple style, an iOS style button, or an Android style button, or anything like that. They just sort of neutralize it all. Graphical uh, games would be one of those situations where you want it to look exactly, you know, with your devices. images and your graphics yeah. and your everything else and your explosions. I would also think that's true of any enterprise app. If I'm, I'm wearing my IT hat now. If I'm responsible for the help desk for a mobile app, it should not matter what device it's running on. It should be identical. It should behave the same from a pure tech support cost expenses. You know how much harder the maintenance scripts are if it's like which version, what device are you using? Like, I want one. That's right. You know, like really. But I wonder, you know, over the years, if bit by bit, this aspect of software has just changed. That once upon a time, we cared about an iOS app needs to look like an iOS app. And now that just seems to be less important. Yep. That, that, and they, that, that is they, what we see from our customers yeah. too. They, I think customers are more comfortable devices now. They can handle the fact that it's different. Well, and it's interesting too because with the modern UI frameworks and and Flutter is you know still relatively new. It's built around modern ideas like uh, it's reactive, it's composable, it's declarative, right? Um, and so uh, it is very easy and very productive to put together you know real flows with animation and scrolling and, you know, hero graphics and colors and theming and all of that stuff. It's relatively easy and quick to put together. Um, in fact, I talked to lots of customers are like, okay, we set aside this three month, you know, um, uh, window for us to go and build a prototype to see if we could even make it work. Right. And we do the whole thing in three weeks. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it looks and feels exactly like our own app except it's better for X, Y, and Z. I mean, people just are super productive. Surprising. It is surprising to most folks how productive right. they are. And the other thing I hear is, you know, uh, uh, with older style UI frameworks, you know, the designers would say, here's what we want it to look like. And the developers would say, well, we can do 80% of that in the time we have. And the other 20% um, isn't reasonable for us to do. It's just too hard. And so designers grew to become happy with, hey, I got 80% of my design done. Hey, that's pretty right. great. What we find with Flutter is developers are able to do the whole thing. And designers love it too because they can lay out the designs that they want and the engineers can implement it because of the way that the, the API uh, was designed. And it gives them... So, you know, it gives them a different degree of pixel perfect from a, uh, here's what the designers want. Yes, we can build exactly that, just like the designers asked for. Mm -hmm. So the, the thing about um, certain games, though, being, you know, completely pixel based or are those days over? Like, do even if we're doing really high graphics kind of animations in our own uh, graphical games, 
where we're controlling all of the things and all the graphical elements, do we still use uh you know the the material design and the Cupertino, um or or do we you know how does that work? Uh, we don't find that people are using um, Flutter to build you know three D interactive Twitch apps. Right. Right. They use you know Unity. Oh, Unity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what we are finding though is for 2D casual kinds of gaming, the, you know, the animation and shine and cool graphics and, you know, um, device independence and, you know, menus right. and navigation and all of that. People are, uh, over time, um, picking up Flutter to build those kinds of games instead of dropping into something harder. Yeah. In fact, there have been a couple of Flutter-specific gaming engines that have popped up so that people can get the best of both for those kinds of games. And you get things like, I mean, you can build, um, you know, 2D scrollers and, sure. you know, shoot them up kinds of games. And you can get pretty far mm. before you have to dive into, you know, the next level of real 3D with, with real kinds of game engines. And at that point... Now you're building all your menus and navigation and and all of that by hand. Do you have um, uh, what we call these things goggles, uh, VR stuff on your on the horizon as platforms for for Flutter apps? Let me start by saying no. Okay, that that isn't a target today for Flutter. Right? Okay, it isn't on our roadmap. And again, you know, if you look at where we are in today's VR. Right. That's all Unity and real 3D kinds of, you know, uh, uh, low level 3D, high performance Twitch kinds of things. Sure. Right. Trying to, to squeeze every ounce uh, 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 out of the resources available on those machines. Right. So that's not a good pace for, for Flutter. However, if you think about the future of those kinds of both VR and AR kinds of experiences, you can imagine, gosh, I want all of my existing apps that already today run on my phone. I want them, right? I want my messaging. I want my communication. I want my music. I want my video playback. I want all of those experiences available. And so you could imagine a world where the vendors start, you know, making it uh, possible to start running your phone apps. In You're somewhere. almost sounding Microsoft y there, Chris. It's like one could speculate. <laughs> one might speculate. <laughs> like said, it's, not, it's not on the Flutter roadmap, but no. if anyone made it so that you could run your iOS or Android um, app, you know, on your VR or AR uh, you can, goggles, you can already run what? browsers, right? And why wouldn't you? But I, I, I mean, you said game engines for Flutter, so I immediately search for that and find a dozen. Like clearly this is an ecosystem and an extensibility framework that would say, this is just not hard, that hard to add in here. It is for, uh, for Oculus, you know? Cool. Neat. So yeah, it's, it is, it is, it's interesting to think in ecosystems in the space to allow others to take your product in different directions. For sure. And, and it is interesting too. If you look at what the, the amazing work that the Android team has done, making it so you can take your Android app and run it in so many places. Yeah. Right. You can run it on your phone. You can run it on your tablet. You can run it on your PC. You can run it on your watch. You can run it on your TV. You have to imagine that somebody somewhere thinks it's a good idea to run your Android apps on a VR or AR headset. Well, in, to me, it is very much a view of this seems to be the only technology that will ultimately display smartphones that can do everything a smartphone can do and sure. then a bunch of things it can't for sure and what are the what's the what are the stacks that are going to be able to be part of that gold rush in those early days you know don't you don't want i don't want what happened with iphone to happen that sort of hey you know it was Jobs saying you're going to program an html5 in 2007, when HTML5 right. wasn't even a thing, his right. phone gets jailbroken, and suddenly he has to release his internal tools <laughs> to all of us. And you know, then you get Rory Blythe coming on the show saying, "If you like programming in, you know, on the iPhone, you have Stockholm syndrome, right? Like, because <laughs> that's how bad it was." Well, and he's I, he, wrong, right? Uh, Objective C is a language that only a mother could love. Uh, yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, and you're using the short form of mother there, I get. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, and that's the, the concern is often the folks that build the really innovative hardware, you know, the breakthrough hardware, don't build great sustainable dev tools for it. You know, what you're hoping is that folks that deeply understand how to build development tools that we can, that the stuff we write today will still be useful 10 years from now, uh, are able to adapt to the innovative hardware when it lands mm -hmm. uh, quickly. And and I and I've been watching. I mean, I've looked at the architecture of .NET and said these guys are very well positioned oh, to, for sure. to be able to do this. I'm delighted to come back and look at Flutter, which I left over on the shelf as a mobile stack. Right. Seeing it expand like that and say, you know what? This is very well positioned to respond to a new platform. Well, and that, so there's, and there's two ways to think about that too with Flutter. Um, one, of course, any of those future devices that support the existing mobile ecosystems, mm -hmm. well, Flutter already can target that. Yeah. the mobile mm -hmm. ecosystem. So you could just, it, it, as far as um, Android's concerned, Flutter's just an Android app. And as far as iOS is concerned, Flutter's just an iOS app. And that's totally fine. But you can also think that there, you remember we talked early on about that platform abstraction layer, right? Um, we call it um, an embedding. There is one for every platform that we yeah. support. And those are just the ones we support. There's a whole bunch of others where people have made it work on other devices, Android right. TVs, Apple TVs. Samsung is busy making Flutter Tizen. work on Tizen. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah. Sony's made it work on uh, embedded uh, Linux. Toyota is sticking it into future versions of their car. Wow, that's great. Somebody's made it work on a Raspberry Pi. There are literally more embeddings in the world that support Flutter than the ones that um, actually come out of right. uh, your list. It's a, that's, right. that's a great definition of an ecosystem, right? I think that's mm -hmm. Gates' old definition is it's not an ecosystem unless it's 10 times the size of what the parent company's doing. That's right. That's and right. So, and so you could imagine future devices, people start building embeddings and they run their exact yeah. same Flutter code and they just target a new platform. It doesn't make any difference either way, right? It's all, it's all right. the same thing in the end. That's right. And all the other different pieces. Ah, yeah. It's an exciting time and definitely, uh, definitely a useful set of tools. Another another way to solve this particular problem. For sure. So uh, what's next? I mean, when did, when did you release Flutter for Windows? That was pretty recently. It was literally a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Wow. So beginning of February. That's right. And, and how that works is with uh, a C++ runtime and Win32 runtime at the very bottom of the stack. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, we've got um, a Windows embedding that is C++ and Win32. Uh, and then we... You said WinRT also, right? Uh, well, so you can get to... Well, ARM. Obviously, you can get to Win32 and COM from C++. That's where those things yeah. came from. You can also get to WinRT from C++. So you have complete access. And from Dart, you can get to all three of those API sets from, from Dart directly using um, the form function interface, FFI. Or, um, you know, you can uh, call in the native part of your app or in a native part of your plugin you can call into those uh, all three of those API sets uh, directly. Cool. Yeah. So many choices. So many Lots choices. Yeah, but I guess uh, I guess accessing .NET wouldn't be possible. Then. Oh, well, uh, you can for sure, right? The Remember the very first .NET support in the C++ compiler from Microsoft? You can still flip that bit and get... You know, the managed C extensions and call into .NET all the live long day. So that would be the .NET framework, not .NET core, right? Well, you so, are writing uh, you, Windows app. You tell me, right? I mean, has yeah. .NET core still enabled all of that? Can you still get to .NET core from C, Microsoft's implementation of C? Yeah, absolutely. But .NET core there goes go. everywhere. There you but, go. Um, so you're good. Yeah. Yeah, but can you do cross-platform p-invoke code? That's really <laughs> that sounds like an excellent community. Chris, can I use Oslo? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Oslo! Uh, the answer is no. We cannot use Oslo. But it is interesting if you if you watch that video, right? Mm. We showed you know the built-in tooling to to create a you know a, a Flutter app and target windows. Yeah, right? that came out of the box. But when it came to you know, making it look and feel like a Windows app with the fluent design language. Right. That was a community package. The Flutter team did not build that. 
Wow. And when it came to taking the results, you know, you do a release build and you want to package it up in an MSIX so you can send it to your users or upload it to the, the Microsoft store. That was a community package as well, hmm. right? The community has already embraced uh, desktop Flutter and Windows specifically to provide all of this amazing functionality. Wow. That didn't come from the Flutter team. That's cool. Awesome. So what's next? Besides Mac and Linux. Oh, well, I mean, you mean after VR and AR? I can only imagine <laughs> being sort of directly into your brain. Is yeah, Neuralink. That's right. Uh, that's awesome. I, yeah, I mean, I think everybody's probably listening is convinced at least to go check it out. I've been looking at the documentation and learning labs and code labs and samples and repos, and there's so much stuff out there. So I would. Oh yeah, the uh, the Flutter developer relations team is second to none. They are fantastic. That's great. They uh, they care deeply about making sure all of the docs and samples are approachable and immediately usable. They have a, a, a set of uh, uh, YouTube videos on their channel that are are fantastic, and that is just a tiny fraction of this huge Flutter uh, developer ecosystem. There are so many amazing things that I learn about from the community um, doing Flutter that I didn't know about. And I'm not, I'm not running. I don't have my finger in, you know, the thumb on any scales. It's just happening. It's amazing. Right. I mean, are we going to see uh, you doing a Flutter rocks podcast anytime soon? I, I would love that. In fact, um, I unfortunately don't have that kind of time. I wish I did, yeah. but I try to, I mean, we have a number of, uh, of Flutter based podcasts that are, um, that are kind of uh, uh, starting down the same road is .NET Rocks. Obviously, you're far down, far much further down that road yeah. um, than the Flutter community. Red older. Those kinds of things are already starting. All right, Chris, it's been great catching up with you, and hopefully we'll see you in Louisville in August. For sure. And uh, maybe even before then, who knows. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. All right, and we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 